Militant Grind, the most honorable. Visit MilitantGrind.com. Elevate your journey towards mental health and wellness by joining the Militant Grind Academy today. Discover a community where growth, support, and transformation awaits you. Visit www.militantgrindacademy.com. This is William King Hollis rocking with Militant Grind. Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, we're joined by Constantine, a beacon of personal growth, self-discovery, and professional development with over 15 years in the field. Transitioning from a life overshadowed by fear to one illuminated by vulnerability and authenticity, Constantine's journey is a testament to transformative power of self-discovery. As a holistic empowerment mentor and coach, and the voice behind the Unleash Thyself podcast, Constantine's work is dedicated to guiding others on their paths to growth. Merging his love for technology, spirituality, and mentorship, he's committed to unlocking the full potential within us all, making a profound impact on the world. Today, we dive into Constantine's mission of personal growth, spirituality, and the pursuit of self-discovery, ready to inspire and empower. Constantine, how are you today, sir? Sherman, I'm most excellent. Thank you. Good. You and I had a chance to chat a few days ago. I'm still going back through everything that we talked about. Such a beautiful conversation. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone this time around. While we were doing the interview, one thing that we did notice is that we have a like mind. We're like-minded in a lot of different ways. And it's funny because it's like you are from the other side of the world. You live in a different country now. But it's just a testament that like a lot of us humans are more similar than what we think. Exactly. And I love that, Sherman, that you mentioned it because that's what I've come to realize later in life than I would like to admit because I grew up where I grew up in Eastern Europe and it was mm -hmm. all about hanging out with the same people, the same type of people and looking down upon anyone else. And moving to Canada, a place that's so diverse, mm -hmm. allowed me to see how different people and cultures are, but yet how similar everyone is as well, because everyone wants the same thing, right? To find joy, happiness, fulfillment, success, abundance in life for themselves and their families, of course. Right. Yeah, man. So let's go into how growing up in Eastern Europe was for you, because I, I recall you saying that it was a communist country at a time, and then they became a democracy and some things were still the same. Some people were still in their old ways or whatever. So how was it growing up out there for you? It was, I didn't know any better right, when I was young. And the first seven years of my life until let's call it the big revolution happened when we toppled communism and instilled democracy. Mm -hmm. It was a time of scarcity and fear in Romania. Those were some of the toughest years when it came to the social economic environment. That's what I learned later on in life from my parents, from families, from friends. People didn't have what to eat. There was not a lot of safety, right? But I was shielded from that externally at the very least. But what I've come to realize looking back is that even though I was shielded, I was in a fortunate spot. Us as human beings, we absorb a lot more than we think we do, and especially as children, meaning that we can have the best intentions for someone, but what we feel inside what stressors we have in our life, what happens at school and everywhere, everywhere else will come in to your life one way or another. So just because you want the best for someone doesn't necessarily mean they will get it unless, of course, you can be that person for them. And 
provide. So that's how I grew up. Now, you did mention something key there, right? Democracy came in, but it's not like a change overnight. Like we look at all of us human beings, when we want to change something, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And even what, 20 something years after right now, 30 years, actually, it's been, it's still happening because a lot of the same mentalities existed still, right? Because people didn't change, right? just the system changed. So there was a lot of corruption, a lot of still people going after it for themselves and in the process, screwing over many other people and places. And that's one reason why my family decided to move to Canada to not necessarily escape the type of environment, but give a better future to us, the children, my brother and I. Mm -hmm. Wow. How old were you when you moved to Canada? I was 17. I was fairly old. I would say in the sense of a teenager going through high school in Romania, mm. having lots of friends, a girlfriend. So it was a big change. My brother was 12. And for him, it seemed a bit easier because he was starting to form those strong relationships and that part of his life. And it's interesting to compare notes because, of course, we both ended up being fairly successful in life mm. with a good family life. But the way it shaped us, completely different. Yeah, because I often tell people where you spend your adolescence or basically shapes who you are as a person. So if you could actually like you, if you tell me that you're from Romania, i am like, okay, you've been there since you were 17. Yeah, you're from there. Yes. That basically built you up as a person. But if you left at 10 or 11 or 12, it's nah, man, like you wasn't really like you wasn't really developing at that time. So yeah, man, it's, that's yeah. I, I've been someone that said things like that because there's be some people that are like, say in California, they'll move out like two hours away or to the suburbs and they'll say, oh, I'm from LA. Oh, you moved out when you were eight. So nah, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's just funny how the different societies and places where we are develop us as a person. They do. And it's interesting because one of the areas I am passionate about is psychology, human psychology, mm -hmm. and more specifically neuroscience, anything to do with <laughs> our nervous system, our brain, how we do things in life and why we do them. And there's a lot of research coming out saying that for the first seven years of your life, those are the most important years when it comes to absorbing beliefs and thoughts. And that includes limiting beliefs, right? It includes everything in your environment, right? So mm -hmm. if you've been somewhere for the first seven years of your life, the imprint of whatever environment you are in, be it your caregivers, your society, your schooling, all of it will mm -hmm. have a massive on your life because that's what really forms the basis of everything for you so you give the example of someone that left la at eight technically they absorbed a lot of that subconsciously without even realizing the first seven years mm -hmm. and then they were put in a different environment mm -hmm. and now there was probably a lot of conflict between those two environments and some new things one over the old ones and mm -hmm. i would imagine a lot of the old ones were still active to this day hmm. so like what so let's let I'll give you myself as an example because yeah. that's the person I know best. Mm. One of the beliefs in Romania, and I would say this is true for many countries, not just Romania, is the fact that at the time boys couldn't show emotions, couldn't cry, couldn't do certain things. Like I was fairly artistic or artistically inclined growing up. I remember that, but I wasn't necessarily allowed to pursue any of the artistic endeavors, like drawing and painting mm -hmm. and any anything to do with creating art because that would keep me away from doing what? Engineering, mathematics, science, the fields where my parents, my caregivers, my teachers thought that I would have the best chance of the best future. So now that's a limiting belief 
or let's call it just a belief that's instilled in you very young. So mm-hmm. I remember I have memories from three, four years old when I would want to do something and I wasn't allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. I would go to school and I would be punished for my creative endeavors during, during a class and punished physically back then. And of course, verbally and emotionally and mentally, all of that stuff, right? So what tends to happen in those seven, first seven years, you absorb that a lot faster because your conscious mind isn't formed. So let's say you're my father and at three years old, you tell me, you know what? Painting is not for boys. You're never going to be good at that. You internalize that. And mm-hmm. what tends to happen is you make your own programs after and you put your own boxes around yourself, which is what I did in my life. So it's always stifling emotion, trying to not show emotion, trying to not show empathy, compassion, because I wasn't raised in a way that allowed me to express who I was at my core. I was more learning from adults. And I'm not saying just my caregivers, but this was teachers. This was people in the environment, friends of my family and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. Those things are formed when you're young and then you internalize them. And you don't even realize you have them in your life until you actually be like, oh, should I look inwards a bit and see what's going on? Right. Why do I dislike people over certain background or certain color or certain sexual orientation? It likely has nothing to do with that person, but rather with whatever beliefs you inherited from the society you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Because I say for me, I was raised at the beginning of my life in the not so diverse neighborhood. Like I was the only black kid in the class or the better yet, one of the few in the school. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to at age 10, I left and I went to the all black school and it was like totally different for me. But then also knew that I had to develop a certain a different type of character than what I was used to protect myself and to just get around this, these different types of people. But then it was like, I couldn't tell people that I like rock and I like, you know, all of these different type of things because it was just like, it was just a different thing. And that's that you touched on something very important that at the end, all of it was beautiful what you said, but I want to build on to what you said, because I was the same as you. And I know when, when you were on my show, we talked about the idea of growing long hair and having a beard and how that goes against certain things. Same idea with liking rock or in my case, liking computer games and wanting to play mm-hmm. and wanting to build things with that. It's we start to form ideas of what others may like or not like about us or how they would accept us. Mm -hmm. And those become our limiting beliefs in the sense that for the longest time, I had this belief that I had to belong with every group and every, let's call it, activity I could find because I had a fear of not fitting in, a fear of rejection Mm -hmm. that was at the core of it. So that meant that like you, I couldn't share, well, I liked this and I didn't like that. Because if in my mind at the time, if I did, that means I would go against the status quo, go against the grain, and I would be ostracized, right? I would be kicked out of the groups. I would be less accepted for who I am. And those are my old beliefs. And that's what I see in my line of work, both in the corporate side in my personal life and with the mentorship and coaching I do is that this is what's holding a lot of us back. Like we are successful human beings. A lot of us are because if you're on the other side of the microphone right now, but if you're also in the audience and you're listening to this, you have some success in your life. Likely you're more successful than what? 90% of the population in the world. Mm-hmm. And success is defined by whatever measure you want to define it. It could be that you got to live up to this point in a free country and you had food on the table this morning or yesterday or whenever. Right. That could be success for many people. So that, but 
if you realize that we have all these things holding us back from truly unleashing the best version of ourselves, then imagine where you can be in six months, 12 months, 24 months, once you realize you have control to change those beliefs, to change those thoughts that are not serving you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Because I often say that gauging success really depends on the person's perspective. I yes. say, I say for me, where I'm from, I would be deemed a crazy success. But then as I say, if I was from a more affluent area, I might not be a success so much. You know what I'm saying? It's all a perspective. Like I say back in the day in LA, the drug epidemic was crazy, right? And with that being said, a lot of the people, the way they gauge success was like pretty low compared to the way I would. They'll say, oh, at least I'm present, or at least my parents aren't on drugs or on crack, and at least they're there. So it wasn't like more so being effective. It was more so I'm here and a lot of other people aren't. So that means I must be doing something right. And I, and I was just like, how it was low to me, that's pretty low on the totem pole. But then when I think about it, it was like, what else did they have? If the majority of your friends are becoming victims of violence, drugs, and things like that, you just having a job, going to work, and being there for your kids is a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. And I love what you shared that around the success, depending on which part of society you belong to. And what's interesting there, and I've come to realize in, later in my life as well, is that those are the definitions of success that other people have. Mm -hmm. The people in that neighborhood, the people in that area of the country, the people in that specific area, it's not necessarily what your definition is. What I have found to be true is when we look back to our definition, when we come back to ourselves and say, okay, how do I define success? Mm -hmm. And try, not try, but get yourself away from the definitions that others have put into your life. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that's easy, but for me, once I started realizing that I don't necessarily agree with every definition, with everything that has been said or I have been shown to be true in my life. That's when I can regain some power, take some power back and make my own definitions and live a life according to my own beliefs as opposed to what everyone else is telling me to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the best way to do it because no one can really tell you how successful you are. You should already know that. But then a lot of us are successful, but we think that just because we aren't rich, we aren't successful or being successful is only based on how much money you have, yes. which is crazy to me because I know a lot of people that have money that may be considered rich, but like what, like what people always say, you cannot take that with you. So what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Having a lot of money for yourself is not leaving behind a legacy. So say exactly. if there's a poor man who had five kids, 15 grandkids, who had a nonprofit, who went to church, who impacted all of these people's lives. And you could tell when you go to the funeral, like this guy was loved, people honored him, he made a change. And not to say that being so the sadness is a good thing, but you could just see how the person impacted that man's life versus a man who was single, didn't have any wife, any children, but he had a lot of money. Who's going to have a more effective obituary? The poor man. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And that, there's always so many sides to the story. Like you mentioned perspective. That's such a good way to look at it, right? Because the person that had the children, the grandkids, and had an impact because they're doing it. It's based on the perspective 
of the people around, but also their own perspective. It's like I brought impact to others. It wasn't just about myself versus the person that has the money and not doing anything with it to help everyone else around them. Right. And that's going to, at the end, decide if you and I look back and say, which one do we feel is more successful? Of course, Mm -hmm. we now have 2020 vision and we can be like, yeah, of course, the person that gave back more, they had a successful life themselves and then they gave back more. It wasn't just the money, which is where I believe all society is focusing nowadays. Do you have the money? Do you have the cars? Do you have the fame? Then you're successful. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then you're not. Right. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, that's an unfortunate way to look at it. Because like, I've been to a lot of funerals, man. I've never seen anything like that on anybody's obituary. It was like when my grandmother passed away, man, she had kids, five kids. I don't know how 15 grandkids had great grandchildren. It was just like, wow, a lot of great grandchildren, a lot. And so after they read her obituary and they read like all of her descendants, people were just like, oh my yeah. God. It was like people were gasping, like, look, whoo, wee. And it was like, what better impact you could give to the world than that? You know what I mean? Yeah, my whole perspective about a lot of stuff changed versus like how how success is projected to us in American society. So yeah, with that being said, so what would you say is a is living a purpose-driven life? That's a, I love the question, Shaman. That's, that's an amazing question. I would say for me, a purpose-driven life is finding what is truly within you that you hold dear and believe that you could do, even if no one paid you, no one gave you recognition for it, you would just step up and do it every day. Is it to be a parent, like an example of your grandmother, to, to be giving back like that? Is it to be in service of others? And if it is, how does it show up? Then that's for what, for me, a purpose-driven life is. It's finding what really it's in your heart. And you, for those that are watching this versus just listening, I have a sign behind my right shoulder here that says, follow your heart. And that's what I truly believe. Getting out of the mind, going to your heart and it's like, okay, what brings me joy? What brings me fulfillment? What brings me abundance? And again, I'm not talking about money only. We're talking about deeper than that, like emotionally and mentally and spiritually, like what brings you alive? And do more of that into your life. And what I have found over... My years of working with this and coming from that angle is that most people, A, do not know their gifts and their strengths and essentially their why, their purpose. And those that do, it's usually, some of it at least is driven by external forces. So my purpose is to go to work and provide for my family. But then they work really hard for, let's say, 12-hour day they bring the money in, but they never spend time with their family. Right. So then I argue, is that really a purposeful life? Yes, you're providing for your family, but the money is not everything like we just talked about, right? So I think it all comes back to finding what's in your heart, truly sitting down with yourself because you have those stories. People know more about you than you think they do and you can find from them, but you also know that information inside. And once you identify that, quickly do an inventory in your life, see what it shows up and what it doesn't. And make a choice. Do I want to bring more of it into my life or not? And once I made a choice, realizing that I wasn't bringing a lot of it into my life, everything changed. My professional life changed for the better. My relationships exploded. My love for myself, my happiness, my joy, my fulfillment, all of it through the Mm -hmm. roof. Mm -hmm. Wow, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you do have a family currently, right? I do. I do not have any children yet. That's in... 
coming, but mm-hmm. I have a beautiful partner. I love dearly. I have two dogs. I have uh, parents and I have a brother and I have a lot of amazing friends. A lot of them I met virtually through an avenue like this podcasting. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's it. And what, what I would say is one of the best things for me, which is a gift that I've given myself and now it's given to everyone else as well, is that for a long time in my life, I was depressed, suicidal at times, anxious, burnt out, despite having the American dream, right? So the amazing job, amazing career, amazing family life, shiny toys, but I had none of that, none of the happiness, none of the joy, none of the fulfillment. When I brought it upon myself is when essentially everyone else got to benefit from it. And so what was going on in your life during that time when you were suicidal and going through problems like that? Thank you for asking that question. And Sherman, I'll be honest. What was going through my life was that I had a job I loved and I had a family life I thought was great. And it was. Mm-hmm. But what was going on is that I wasn't happy with myself because I didn't necessarily have a purpose. My purpose was, oh, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, going to make more and more money. I'm going to buy more and more and shiny toys. I'll get to travel a bit. And this happened to be around the time of COVID, like most people right, coming out of it. And realizing that working 12-hour days, even though there was some purpose behind what I was doing, enabling people to work from home, I was getting burnt out. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? I go to work. I make all this money. I spend it on escaping reality, which was through games, through Netflix, through, through food, through many other avenues. And at the end of the day, I was just devoid of anything. Like I wasn't in touch with my feelings. I wasn't in touch with my spirituality with anything really other than my work and perhaps my partner and my dogs, right? Very superficially. Mm-hmm. And why it took me down the path of suicidal thoughts was, and at least I didn't go much further than thoughts, but the word there often was because I didn't realize, or I didn't see a path out and I didn't see a reason for life. I'm like, I have the American dream, right? Canadian dream, whatever. It's the same thing, right? I have all the things people are telling me I should have to be happy. In fact, I have friends and acquaintances and coworkers telling me, wow, I wish I had your life. Mm-hmm. And yet I was like, I wasn't feeling that. I'm like, I'm missing something. And I was like, maybe it's just easier if I tap out, I'm done because I can't figure out this game. Mm-hmm. And of course, through a lot of <laughs> self-discovery going inwards and with the help of some amazing people, I was able to come on the other side. And now looking back, I'm like, yeah. Because everything I built my life on, I wouldn't call it a lie, but it was a lot of misinformation. It was a lot of external stuff as opposed to be things I believed in. It was a lot of things that other people told me would bring me happiness as opposed to me being like, hey, is that going to bring me happiness or not? Mm-hmm. And when I made a shift and aligned with my purpose, aligned with my gifts and strengths, that's when everything changed for me. And honestly, it when some of my friends look at me that I haven't talked to them in a while, they see a shift as like, how could you do this overnight? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't overnight. It took months and months. But for someone that you only talk to every three months, it would appear that something happened overnight. Right. But anyway, hopefully that answers your question. But that's like the process I went through. And there was some spiritual awakening in there that we can talk about and other things that happened. Yeah, yeah. So did you actually like attempt to commit suicide? No, I didn't get that far. Mm. I, I had thoughts around doing it and how I would do it and how much better off people would be if I did, because of course, through your insurance policies, right? So there's a lot of money coming out of it, right? So there were those thoughts to go through, but uh-huh. I, there was always a part of me that would be like, no, you know what? That's not the answer. There has to be a different way. 
I was just not necessarily listening at the time at that voice. And once I started aligning more, I'm like, okay, so I'm missing something. I have a mathematics and engineering background. So I consider myself a smart guy. I'm like, I can figure this out. And what I didn't realize back then was that it's not figuring it out in the brain. It's actually in the heart and mm -hmm. coming into your emotions, which is something I never really did before because right. of what we talked, about, which is how I learned to live life from a very young age, not show emotion, not allow emotion to interfere in my life. And yet emotion is one thing that most of us should tap into more than we already do. And mm. we will see so much more benefit because that's really where your true essence lies. Yeah, that's true. But we definitely could talk about the spiritual awakening, like basically the pivot from being suicidal to becoming who you are today. So what was the spiritual awakening? And then if you can mention some tools or some resources that actually brought the spiritual awakening to be. Yes. No, I love the question. So in Romania, most of the Romanians, they follow a religion called Christian Orthodox and it's Christianity. Now I grew up in that environment. We weren't super religious. But I never really connected with it. So when I moved to Canada, we, when I say we, me, I stepped away from the church and I was agnostic for the longest time. But I had different encounters in my life and different things happened that made me wonder, is how is that possible? How is that happening? There must be more that I don't know. But I wasn't surrounding myself with the right, that's why the right mentors, the right people, nor was I doing the right research. So it stayed in the back of my mind. And coming out of the pandemic, when I was working a lot and I was burnt out and anxious and all the things happened that I mentioned, I had this calling that I had to explore something more. Mm -hmm. And I had to go on mental health retreat. And what spoke to me, and you may be familiar with this, you may not be, there's a plant medicine out of the jungles of the Amazonian jungles called ayahuasca, which is a very strong psychedelic medicine, plant medicine that the tribes around the Amazonian jungle have been using for thousands of years for essentially spiritual awakening and connection to spirit, to God, to universe, whatever one believes in. And I knew of this for a long time, but I never, I was like, I'll never do anything like it because you see, I've never been drunk, nor have I done any drugs. So I've stayed away from anything that would essentially, I would have to relinquish control to. Yet I had this calling that I had to go on this path and mm -hmm. do it. So eventually, at the end of 2021, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go do it. I did a lot of research, thousands of hours, videos, books, YouTube content, podcasts, you name it. And I'm like, okay, I have this calling. I have to go explore it. Mm -hmm. And I went in 2022 in April to Ecuador. Never been there before. Never, I didn't know anyone going into this. And it was just an amazing experience. Like it was 12 days five different ceremonies. I got to meet some amazing people. In fact, 10 plus of them are still my friends to this day, like really strong connections. And in that time, essentially, I went in with an open mind, yet very skeptical because I'm coming from a science background, from an analytical background. But I said, you know what? I want to see what this is about. Mm -hmm. And the best way I can describe it is it opened up my mind. Not only the experiences I had and the visions I had and the feelings I felt, but the changes I saw in people over a short amount of time, I'll give you a quick example here that always still fascinates me to this day. A dear friend of mine that I met there, she just came out of 10 days in ICU in, with COVID. She almost died multiple times, lost most of her hair, a lot of 
bodily functions were lost, meaning like she could barely walk and mm -hmm. stand. And even talking was a bit slower, right? And her and I bonded because I was even a bigger guy back then because I've always struggled with my weight. And I was hanging back as they were giving us a tour on the first day. And she was, of course, slower because of the condition she was going through. And her and I connected. We talked. Fast forward seven days, so about three or four ceremonies, seven or eight days. She's playing soccer with us on the field. And this is 10,000 feet up in the air, right? Where you can you lose your breath just by walking a few feet. Right. And I was playing soccer with other people, and then she joins in. And mm -hmm. I'm looking, I'm like, how is this possible? Seven days ago, you could barely walk. Mm. You could barely stand. Your speech was being slurred. And now you can talk as nothing has happened. You can run and you can play with us. You can have the time of your life. And there were transformations upon transformations I would see of people around me. And I'm like, I can't explain this. I have no idea what's going on. Wow. Yet, I felt it was like natural, right? So I had my own transformation there. And here's where it got interesting for me because those 12 days, right? I came back fully renewed. I'm like, wow, I finally understand life, mm -hmm. which of course I didn't, but that's what I thought. But no one else changed around me. That's when my depression, which I had before, went into overdrive. Because now there was a conflict, a much bigger conflict internally between this new idea, like I knew what I could be mm -hmm. and what I am, what everyone else says. And I'm like, wow, I don't know how to bridge this. And that's what sent me for what I call the dark night of the soul. You may hear people talk about that. That's how it felt to me in the moment. And it wasn't just a night or a week. It was months. It was probably seven months that I was struggling. I would go on a high and then back down on a very low. Mm -hmm. And that's when the suicidal thoughts sometimes came up because I'm like, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's going on. I saw the light and yet I didn't. And I'm like stuck here. And that's how that awakening began. And really what changed it for me fully was when I finally remembered that all my life, I asked myself a simple question. What's my purpose on this planet? Because you see, I always challenged the idea that we all come here to go to school, get a job, find a partner, procreate, hopefully raise those children well, and then die. To me, that never made sense as just the only reason. So I said, there must be more to it. But I never did anything with it. So in this process, I finally remembered, I went through dozens and dozens of books and videos and audiobooks and podcasts, devices, a plan, found my why, my purpose, my gifts, uncovered them, and then when I did the inventory, this was late 2022, I'm like, huh, none of the things I believe are my gifts and my why, my purpose are showing up much in my life. So to me, there was no wonder I was depressed. No wonder I was anxious and burnt out because I wasn't doing what really lights my soul on fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And when I made the commitment that I want to change that, I want to bring more of it into my life, that's when everything started to unravel for the better. All of a sudden, doors opened up, people showed up in my life. I allowed people back into my life as well, friends, family. And all of a sudden, I was starting to climb out. But I had to make the choice, right? Because I, people wanted to help. I wasn't responsive to it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's, that's, say that's like how it, that's 2022 essentially for me. But I do want have to ask you this, because I, I appreciate you explaining this to us what ayahuasca is, but yes. I know exactly what it is. But I also <laughs> want to ask you, what exactly happened after you took ayahuasca? Like, how was your journey after you took it? 
Love the question. So there's, uh, so there were actually two medicines that I had a chance to take. So ayahuasca, which is a vine that grows in the Amazonian jungle. There's two parts of it you take as a tea. So essentially they boil it with water and you drink it. And there's something called St. Pedro, which is a cactus. And they're very different in what they do. Now with ayahuasca specifically, what it does, it's essentially within ourselves, we, there's two times in our life where on purpose it gets released. It's something called DMT. And DMT is this, essentially, I wouldn't call it a drug because it's within us as well as this hormone, whatever you want to call it, that gets released. And then essentially it takes you out of your body and you experience something else. You can connect, you can call it connection to God, to spirit, to the universe, whatever one believes in. And DMT gets released naturally twice in your life. The moment you're born and the moment you die. And there are ways through meditation and breath work and other, let's call them non-invasive ways like plant medicine or drugs would be to release DMT within yourself so you can have these connections to the higher plane. So when you take the medicine, it takes about half an hour to an hour for it to kick in. And it's actually very strong. It's one of the strongest medicines one can take because what happens next, you can't stop it. So there's a lot of purging going on, meaning purging. Most people throw up, they have to go to the washroom, they laugh uncontrollably, they cry. And purging is the idea that you're releasing a lot of the negative energy that was built up within you. Mm -hmm. And when you participate in one of these ceremonies, it's all about intention. So before you even set foot inside the ceremonial ground, you're going with an intention. And it's very sacred. So the shamans that did this for us, not only did they teach us all the methods of how they've been doing it for thousands of years, mm -hmm. but also did the medicine with us. So they would take the medicine the same as we did, and they were able to conduct the ceremony while on the medicine. Mm -hmm. And once you got into it, for many people, it's visual, right? So you start to see things. Now, with your eyes open and your eyes closed, so it's pretty cool. But then you get to also experience feelings and emotions that you didn't know were possible. For me, it was a combination of things, right? And I would say my experience was if you had the scale from like nothing happened to some crazy stuff happened, I was in the middle. There were some people that nothing happened the first time and some people that had amazing experiences, but also very hard emotionally and physically on them. Then I'll give you an example. A friend of mine from there, a year prior to doing this ceremony, the barbecue that he was working on, so essentially he was grilling something at home, while holding his one-year-old son in his hand, exploded. So the, the tank exploded and burned half of their body, mm. like melted clothes into their skin. It's very painful stuff, as you can imagine. He had this first ceremony, and he was having a very hard time. He was explaining to us the next day that he, they, there were parts during the ceremony when he wished he was on fire. That's how painful the experience was, even though there was nothing happening to him. Mm -hmm. But yet the emotions and everything that came up was so painful that he wished he he was like, he would rather be on fire than have to go through that. And that's what this medicine does. It brings up things from within you that you have to address that you have pushed down for so long. And that was my anger. Those was my emotions that I suppressed. That was my limiting beliefs. Like so many different things were brought up. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, we can go in more detail, but that's the essence of it. Like you go in with an intention. My intention was to understand myself better, understand my place in the world better. And then you allow the medicine to do its work because sometimes your intention doesn't line up with where you are in life. 
So there's some work that has to be done before your intention can be realized. Wow. That's pretty man. That kind of reminds me of a shrooms in a kind of way. Yes. Yeah. It does. And if you think about shrooms, psilocybin, they're also plant medicine, also used by many tribes around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you look at tribes from Mexico and also North America, right? Even now here in Canada, I see some native tribes still use mushrooms for these rite of passage type ceremonies, but also for spiritual enlightenment. And there's mushrooms, there's ayahuasca, San Pedro, eboga. There's so many different medicines out there, the one. And we're talking about natural stuff. You literally can go pick this up from the ground like a mushroom and eat it. Or like ayahuasca, you just put it with some water, you boil it, and then you drink it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing, man. So did you, so when you were, I'm not sure if you call it a trip on ayahuasca, did you like see anything or hear anything that kind of like yes. got to you? Yes. Oh, there was a lot of things. So I'll try to share one, not try, I will share one that was very impactful for me. Mm. And it's happened multiple times, not just once. Now, at the time when I went to this retreat, I'm, I was still with the partner I'm with right now, but we were through a pretty rocky period of our relationship. And going in, I was like 50-50. I'll either stay with her or I don't. And based on some of the information I find out here, I'll make a, a better decision. Mm -hmm. And throughout the five ceremonies I participated in, I was reminded of how I am with the right person, how she is my soulmate, and it showed me all the beautiful things. But what really got me, and I was emotional for a full day after it, was I remember sitting in one ceremony, the second ceremony, and I only took a bit of the medicine at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking towards a, a, a piece of the grass, I was just looking at my eyes were open. I still remember this because the medicine didn't fully kick in yet. So I wasn't necessarily tripping, so mm -hmm. to speak. And all of a sudden I see this vision or I see my partner, I see my two dogs, and then I see three children, right? We don't have any kids yet. And I could hear their names and I could see them all playing together. And I was like, wow. And literally in that moment, I got overwhelmed with emotion. Even now telling the story, it was like, wow, what's going on? And then it built on itself, right? It showed me more about why my partner is the one for me, why I am for her, why we're here together in this life mm -hmm. and all these beautiful things. Then another story, this was in the last ceremony, this was really interesting for me. So they shared with me this idea that you have to connect to your inner child. So we talked about how between the age of zero and seven is when a lot of these ideas come to you from others because your conscious mind is not fully formed. So you absorb a lot in the subconscious mind. So then is this idea that inner children are formed through trauma. So if something happens to you at the age of two, you may internalize that and have your inner child and that essentially child plays on a loop, whatever happened. So when you react to someone, for example, if someone does something to you and you react, it could be that part of you that's wounded came out to defend you, essentially, to defend a bigger version of you. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me, at this time I had no idea what they were talking about because I had never heard about the inner child. And they were telling me how to connect with my inner child, look at pictures of myself from when I was young, do all these things. And prior to going into this ceremony, which was number four or five, one of the shamans pulled me to the side and said, I understand you want to connect to your inner child. You cannot connect to your inner child until you release the anger that's within you. And I'm like, anger? I'm like, I'm angry on the soccer field. 
<laughs> I'm angry when sometimes I talk to people, but that's it. Like I didn't, my mind was like, okay. And literally I spent the first few hours of the ceremony releasing anger, right? Like I, I felt like how it was showing me the anger and it was releasing through purging. And then when it finally came all out, I'm standing up the end of the ceremony and I have a vision clicking like this while my eyes are open. Mm. And he showed me in an, essentially in an art gallery, it was opening night and it happened to be my art gallery because I could see my adult self. And I had all these amazing paintings and drawings on the walls. And I had all these people there looking at the art. Now keep in mind, I hadn't drawn or done anything in my life with that. And then as like a movie played where it essentially started at the entrance, then it went down to the back room and there was a set of stairs and then it followed down the stairs. And then it came to a vision of me as a two or three year old painting away on the floor. And I could see my younger self because I have pictures from then I could realize it's him. And I remember hearing voices of different adults telling me, boys don't paint, you shouldn't be drawing that, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And I remember my adult self grabbing my young self by the hand and saying something to the nature of, don't allow anyone to tell you what to paint from the heart. And then the vision stopped. And mm -hmm. I was back with everyone else. And even that, even now it sends shivers down my spine because you see most of my life, I allowed people to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Be it my parents, my coworkers, my teachers, my mentors. I always look for someone else to tell me what to do in life. Right. So there was both something that I took as metaphorical, but also as it is, the idea that I could create art should I want to. And I began doing that and I'm working on that right now. Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind because I never considered myself as someone that could be artistic. And yet these doors are opening up now. Wow, yeah. man, that's that's amazing. Because I, I stumbled across the same thing recently because I've been about a businessman making money, hustling, doing this, that, and the third, right? And then I ended up noticing that when I was a kid, I always loved to draw and create art. And I was always just like thinking in the clouds and I was super creative. And But I feel like that part of me never really left. I just applied it to different things. You know what I mean? Say in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to be somewhat of a very creative person. And so now I'm more so embracing my creativity because a lot of it, say I have a friend that I was in a business association with and he was like, mm -hmm. sure, you're a creative. And I was like, what, man, I'm a businessman. I'm not a creative. What are you talking about? But then he was like, look at your tattoos, look at how you dress and all of these different things. And I was like, oh, wow. It hit me then because every time I'm, I get a tattoo, I give my idea to my tattoo artist and he's what the hell? Like, how did you even think of this? Like he does tattoo. I'm talking about he is, he's been fully booked. It's hard to get an appointment with him for 10, 11 years. And every time I go to him, he's oh my God, like, where are you getting this stuff from? But he likes the ideas too. If he didn't like something, he'll tell me like, no, man, I'm not going to do that. Like straight up. He'll be like, nah, I'm not. No, that's not going to look good. So now I'm more so, you know what, man, I'm going to embrace my creativity and just give it to the world. But then there's, there's all kind of ways to be creative, but then there's, I'm just like, I'm just going to harness it more than trying to adopt like a state of mind, whereas I have to force myself to be in it. So basically I'm unleashing myself. <laughs> That's really what it is. Cause it's like, after there's this book called discover your true North. And they talk about how a lot of us know what we want to do when we're children. 
say when I grow up, say it's funny. So I have a funny story about that real quick. So there was this kid Of course, go ahead. in my mom's daycare. He was two to three years old. And we used to laugh our ass off at him because he used to say, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a fireman. I'm like, huh? Shut up. Yeah, sure. Everybody wants to be a fireman. Huh? Next thing, the kid grows up. He goes to school. He's super smart. He goes to some very good private school, right? He ends up getting into one of like a top university, right? Next thing you know, he says, I want to give. All of this, and I'm going to go be a fireman. And he became a fireman. And I think that might be one of the most like mind-blowing things I have ever witnessed in my life. And I respect him. He's way younger than me. But we have these grown-up, impactful conversations. And it's just, wow, like, this kid was, like, so fixated on being a fireman. But he became, he could have been successful either way. But he said, you know what? No, I'm going to be a fireman. And that that's, that blew me away. I probably need to talk about that guy more often. I probably need to interview him because it's wow. You probably do it. Yes. Yeah. That's about following your heart, right? Yeah. Because like we knew as children a lot more than people give us credit for. We knew a lot of things, and then of course mm -hmm. indoctrination and other things happened where we forgot yeah. those things. And it's about remembering. And you are remembering in two ways. And you have such a beautiful story there of like how your tattoo artists and other people telling you you're creative. And yet you're dismissing that or you were dismissing. And that was the same with me. Mm -hmm. And our creativity comes through the podcast too, right? Because we're creating something. Right. It comes right. through the businesses. It comes through those things. And one thing that really shifted my perspective a lot is that one of my mentors that really challenged me on the idea of starting to draw and sketch and paint, I was very resistant. Even though I had experience, I did. I was like, I was never good at this. Mm -hmm. And he's, what do you think people that, are great painters, if you're a Rembrandt or anyone else, were they born amazing? Or did they have to practice a bit together? Is look at everything that you've learned in your life. Mm. I, I was I used to be pretty good at soccer when I was younger. I was like, did I just become did I was born good at soccer or was I was it practice? And of course right. it all goes back to practice. Right. So it's don't learn to paint or you don't learn to draw by just thinking of it. You learn by doing it. And right. that shifted my perspective. Picked up the, the pencils and the brush and I'm playing with it. Am I amazing? Of course not. Will I be one day? Yes. If I put enough time into it, I'll be amazing, but not by, let's say, the definition of the world, by my own definition, mm -hmm. because it's something I'm doing for myself. So that's, and funny enough, I was talking with my partner the other day when speaking about tattoos, I had this beautiful vision not long ago. And I said, you know what? I want to turn that vision into a painting and I'm going to want to tattoo it on myself on some body part later in the future. And I asked her, I said, it sounds like you like that too. Would you want me to do something like that? Mm -hmm. And she was like, yes. So now I'm like, okay, I have a mission, a, more like a, a purpose behind it. I'm like, oh, I want to take whatever I saw, put it into art, and then bring it to life. And it's something yeah. I've never done before. Yeah, I wouldn't take art lightly because I've been to a couple art exhibits and I'm a big fan of Basquiat. I feel like his mind was so creatively genius. Hmm. I actually went to see his paintings in LA. And then I ended up discovering that one of his paintings got sold for, I think, $53 million. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I don't think anybody in the world has done, say you could do, I'm not sure how long it took, but I know it didn't take five years to do the painting. I know it probably didn't take one year. 
But just think about the amount of time it took for him to create the painting. I'm not a painter, so I don't know. And how much that one single painting within that one short amount of time ended up being worth $53 million. Who else in the world could do something like that? What other thing could you do within a couple hours, couple of days, or a couple of weeks that could make $53 million or be sold for $53 million? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. No, yes, and I, I'll get that part. <laughs> what I would add is that it may have taken a few hours or a few weeks or even a year, let's say, but how long did it take for him to get to that level? All that self-trust he had to have, mm. all the practice, all the paintings that didn't sell for 15 million, maybe are still sitting on a shelf somewhere. And that's what I see a lot happening in the world is that we all have these amazing gifts. It doesn't have to be ability to paint or draw or anything. Mm -hmm. And we begin something and then we we allow self-doubt, self-loathing, hesitation, procrastination to come in, all these fears that unfortunately were not ours to begin with. And then we shelf everything before we can get to the point where we can say this is worth $53 million and you can have it. Man, and I believe is, every single person can get that. Man, this has been like a very good conversation. And it's actually, I feel like it's too short, even though... <laughs> We're at a we're at time right now, man. But you gave us a lot of good insight. And I love how you talked about your pivot from being where you were to where you are now and actually how you got there. But it's exactly what I want my listeners to hear. It's like a lot of us just need tips, tools, insights on how we could awaken ourselves, you know, and spiritually awaken and become who we truly are, which is like the whole whole thing about what militant grind is about. Yeah, yes. man, I appreciate you so much, man. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of the Militant Iron Podcast. As soon as this thank gets you. out, I'm going to let you know. And yeah, man, let's connect soon. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for your time and your yeah. wisdom as well. You're very welcome.